0: Thank you, Tom. Well, good morning, Calvary. It's good to be here again this morning with you all. We've had quite a whirlwind week with all the activities, and I don't think we had but one dinner by ourselves. So it was good to, good to meet with so many of you. A lot, of course, formal meetings, a lot of informal meetings that came up uh, spur of the moment. We love that. So thank you for inviting us to go out for coffee and those types of things. <clears throat> and just so many um, profitable conversations with all of you. And Linda and I have felt uh, really blessed this week. Uh, by our time with you, uh, feeling more and more, more home in New Jersey every day. And, uh, and so it'll be really exciting over the next uh, week or so to just see how the Lord uh, leads us forward and um, what He has next for all of us. So let me read a passage from 2 Timothy, and let's pray before we look at the Word of God this morning together. So from 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you continue in what you have learned and will have firmly believed knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lord God we thank you for giving us your word for without it we would not know you we would be lost in the dark and wandering and simply groping with our own foolish ideas. We thank you for your word that it continues to grant us wisdom, not just to find salvation in Christ Jesus, but to grow in that salvation and to grow up into the fullness of him. And we pray this morning that you would bless your word to our souls, your people, and that you would cause us to bring greater glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 84 begins, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is one of the sweetest of all psalms, Psalm 84, and for many of us, it's probably one of our favorite psalms. And I think this is because within the soul of every believer is this intense longing for more of God. Is that so with you? You want more of God, more of his blessings, more of his joy? More of his strength, his grace, his glory, his goodness. I mean, the list just continues on and on. Do you have a deep longing to worship the Lord and be in his presence? Well, this psalmist and God through the psalmist wants us to see that we are really one. One in heart with these ancient pilgrims of faith in Psalm 84. And that they are one with us. And that together as the people of God, we have one eternal destiny. And so from Psalm 84 this morning that we're going to learn that likewise this longing for joy and the blessing of worship and being in the presence of God that this hopefully with this morning will make us resolve to enter the pilgrimage even more fully than we have and persevere to the very end until we actually arrive at heaven. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 84 if you're not already there. The psalmist as you can probably already tell is homesick for heaven. He knows we are too. And so the psalm actually invites us to sing along with him about three topics. The first in the introduction in verses 1 to 4 is to sing about our longing for God. In verses 5 to 7, about our heart that we have for pilgrimage. And finally, in verses 8 to 12, the anticipation of actually arriving. Now, you'll see in the beginning, the, the, circum, the superscription begins, to the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So this psalm, you can see, it was written for the music director, and uh, meaning that it was intended to be enjoyed in a worship setting by the people of God. It's one of the 12 psalms that are what are called Korahite psalms, sons of Korah. The Korahites were Levites and they were a division of the temple musicians at the time. When it says according to the Giddith, we don't really know what that means at this point. Um, some think it's referring to an instrument like a lyre. Others think it's uh, referring to the type of song it is, a festival song, and others think it's just some undefined musical term. We don't really know. Maybe someday we'll figure this out. But Psalm 84 commemorates though, a festive experience of pilgrimage. That's clear. A pilgrimage of making it to Jerusalem for one of the three feasts. So the three pilgrimage feasts were the first one was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That would also include the Passover celebration. This was at the spring, the beginning of the barley harvest. And it was it a was time, this pilgrimage was a time to remember the people of God's exodus out of Egypt. The second possible time it was used, or maybe it was used in many of them, was the Feast of Harvest, uh, or it's also called the Feast of Weeks, uh, Pentecost. It's at the end of the spring harvest season, and it's a time to remember God's giving of the law to the people of God through Moses on Mount Sinai. It could also be the third feast, which is the Feast of Ingathering in the fall. It's also known as the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and after all of the summer crops are done, bringing in the olives and the grapes, and it's a time to remember God's faithfulness during the wilderness wanderings. So the psalmist, this is key to interpreting the psalm here, The psalmist has in mind a couple different things. He has in mind an actual pilgrimage experience of actually going to Jerusalem and participating in one of these wonderful festivals with the people of God. But at the same time, he's using that actual experience to talk about something larger, that the people of God have always thought about their relationship with God, and that is to use the pilgrimage as a motif or or a picture of what it's like to walk with God through this life and on to the next. And this helps us understand this psalm and why it was written and why it's so helpful to us as his people today. So let's take a look more closely at this psalm. The first topic, again, is about him singing about our longing for God in verses 1 to 4. And we see at the very beginning, as I already read in verses 1 to 2, there's this pining of body and soul for God and for worshiping. And then we see him actually envying the sparrow and the swallow. A very interesting juxtaposition, which we'll get to in a moment. But let me read to you verses 1 and 2 again, and please look in your Bibles. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, just faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. How lovely is the dwelling place, and literally it says in the Hebrew, Yahweh Sabaoth. And notice that this phrase appears repeatedly in our psalm. It's here in verse 1, if you just glance down to verse 3, you also see it as well where it says Lord of Hosts, capital L-O-R-D, Lord of Hosts for you. You also see that in verse 8 and in verse 12. And this is really a confusing translation in English because, I mean, literally we would just translate it armies. So he's the Lord of the angelic armies. He's the great king over all the forces of heaven and earth. And where God dwells, and his presence is expressed, it's a place of blessing. And it's, it's, it's inexpressible in its loveliness. Now, of course, the psalmist has in mind the temple of God at Jerusalem, where God, the Lord God, has chosen to dwell among his people at this time in history. But of course, the psalmist knows that God doesn't actually dwell physically in that temple. He can't be contained there. I mean, Solomon even knew that when he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8.27. And he says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain him. How much less this house which I have built. Nevertheless, there he is and his concentrated, powerful presence in the temple. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go home and read the whole book of Exodus, and good homework, and you can see how he inhabited his temple. The psalmist also, though, has in mind not just the temple itself, but the courts where the people of God would gather, all these pilgrims and the people that lived more close by, and they would raise their voices to praise God during this whole week of festivities. His soul yearns and faints, it might say. His body cries out in your text. It sings for joy, is a better translation. Sings for joy to the living God. And You'll notice this is language really of lovesickness. He's pining with his whole being after God. He just wants to be in God's presence. And we're so encouraged by this language because we too have experienced this intense longing for God's presence and worshiping him. Psalm 42, another one of our favorites, I'm sure, begins, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I hope you love to worship as God's people. From what I've experienced so far, I know Calvary does. But I hope you love to worship Him. Verses 3 and 4 then continues, and he makes an observation It says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. So it's like the psalmist notices while he's there for the week that there are birds that actually make nests in their homes in the eaves and the crevices of the temple area. And they're so near the altars. It's always nearer than some of the people were allowed to go. The altars of incense, the altar of sacrifice. And in fact, these birds were even allowed to raise their young in the very presence of God. He's struck by the realization that such lowly creatures could be in such an awesome place. And he's envious, really, of the privilege that they have. They're so at home in the presence of their creator. And it causes further meditation about those priests who get to have that as part of their, that's their job. They daily get to serve the Lord there, and they're ever praising the Lord, just like the sparrows and the swallows. And he wishes, if you will, he never had to go back home. Never had to go back home. This pilgrimage was such a wonderful pilgrimage. You probably had similar spiritual experiences in your life as well. I know I have, where there was that one conference or retreat that you were a part of, and God met you in a very special, life-changing way, and you didn't want to have to go back home and face the mundane. Or perhaps it was a mission trip that you went on, and God revealed his power and his presence in ways that you hadn't seen at home, and you just wish you could be a part of that mission field and never have to go back home. Or maybe it was something as simple as a prayer time that you had with God that you enjoyed so immensely that you could have just stayed on your knees all day if you didn't have things on your calendar to do. And hopefully it's true to some degree. It can't be our experience every day. That would be exhausting. But perhaps at some degree every Sunday as we gather as God's people to worship him. And in reality, of course, the psalmists, and we, we can take home these experiences with us because they're not stuck in a locality at a retreat center or on a mission field or in a certain prayer room that we use. But we can take home this experience of being so close to God and his presence and the extraordinary blessing that he's brought into our lives. In some exceptional way, we can continue really walking with the Lord, even in the routine of our lives and whatever the calling is that he's put upon us. The term Salah in your text here uh, just allows us to pause after the introduction to the psalm and reflect for a moment. It might also be an indicator of a musical change. You know, perhaps it was going to start getting a little more intense as they were singing the this this psalm. But this, this language that we see here, this, this longing for God, it's like you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book, a little book I'd recommend to you, called Reflections on the Psalms. And in his book on Reflections on the Psalms, He talks about Psalm 84 as having an appetite for God, having an appetite for Him. How is your appetite for God? How strong is it these days? Hopefully, you're not just a dainty nibbler because there's so much more richness to enjoy of God. Hopefully, you aren't one of those people who just snacks on what looks good at the moment in the Bible. Because there's so much more nourishing in the Bible than just what seems useful at the moment. Hopefully, you aren't the type that gorges occasionally because you're really gonna miss out and lack understanding and wonder why that you go through these periods of gorging and famish. Famine. But rather, we're supposed to be hung- hungry and thirsty every single day. And therefore eating and drinking. Just are filled just as often from the Word, from our time with God. So we're supposed to come to a place where we're simultaneously fully satisfied in God, yet somehow we're still ravenous for Him, for Him in His presence. That's what Psalm 84 is about. It's about longing for that joy that comes from worship, that blessing that comes from being in His presence, and how that just propels us further and to to join into this pilgrimage, this lifelong pilgrimage, to get to glory and to persevere to the very end in a faithful way. Well, the second topic of the psalm is pretty clear then. It's about being a pilgrim at heart. We read in verses 5 through 7, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacchah, They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So blessings come to those who have a heart of pilgrimage, a pilgrimage to Zion, and they can experience the blessing of God's presence even on the journey itself before they even arrive. So verse 5 could be referring to, again, having the actual pilgrimage on the, on the psalmist's mind, or he could be using it to speak about a spiritual mindset that we have as believers in the one true God and being on an ultimate pilgrimage for which this physical one is just simply a representation. So we'll do well, actually, as we go through the psalm to keep both of these things in mind at the same time. So the highway... We read about these, these look, at the, look at these images for a moment here, where he talks about blessed are those who strengthen you and whose heart are the highways designed. And as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs in the early rains into blessing them. So the highway implies that there are a lot of travelers on this road, and it's a well-traveled route. You see, we travel in groups throughout church history, and we take courage from those that have gone on us, gone before us. And we can take real encouragement from one another as we travel together. The Valley of Baka here is unknown. We, we know it's a symbol of some kind of dryness or a difficult situation or, or one, some translations might say weeping. But you know, it's a common experience of pilgrims. pilgrims. You know, pilgrimages always have difficulties. They face many trials. But you see, there's no other pathway design according to the psalmist, except going through this valley. And if we use the map of the Word of God, we'll stay the course, and we'll eventually find our way there. The water here is perhaps the most interesting of the image. It's the blessing of God honoring their going out in faith. They're able to, in a sense, drink from their trials by faith. They make those trials springs of water. And then God blesses by sending early rains upon them. So they dare to extract the blessing from the dryness of their own experiences by faith. You see, pilgrimage is an intense adventure, and pilgrims have to be sustained by their faith in God and and His faithfulness along the way. I mean, those who don't want to go on a pilgrimage, they can argue about how safe it is to stay at home and how comfortable it is, but they're really going to miss out on a lot of immeasurable blessings of God along the way. Pilgrims persevere, it says, from strength to strength until every one of them appears before God in Zion. Verse 7. They increase their strength as they go. They increase their hope as they travel together. They're focused on reaching God's presence and their intent that every single one will get there. That's the goal. The goal is to get to Zion. The goal is to get to heaven. Zion, of course, physically is referring to the mountain on which the temple was built. But Zion is also a symbol in the scriptures for heaven, the ultimate goal of all the saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all believers alike. You know, we're called citizens now, but yet we await the coming of our city from heaven. In the New Covenant, We join into that new covenant by faith in the gospel, and our author of the book of Hebrews makes this quite clear to us. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And later on in the conclusion, the book of Hebrews clearly says, for here, speaking to Christians like us, for here, we don't have a lasting city. But in context, like Abraham and all the faithful before us, we're seeking the city which is to come. So when we arrive there in Zion, God is going to reveal himself and all pilgrims will behold their God. It's just like our Lord Jesus prayed in his final night on earth when he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which you have given to me. That's the ultimate purpose. The ultimate goal is to behold the glory of Jesus face to face in that heavenly city. Gladness and joy will overtake us. Sorrow and sadness will flee away. Having a heart for pilgrimage needs to be our heart. And we must remain resolute and visionary in order to see God. That's the goal of our lives. How is your perseverance holding up these days? I mean, 2020 was a very, very rough year. It was like a valley of baca. By faith, were you able to twist blessings and water out of the difficulties, and see and experience God bless you with early rains. You know, it might be the case for many of us that we've slowed down in our pursuit of God or stopped altogether or gotten sidetracked with something else or distracted or confused. Maybe Psalm 84 can get you moving again in the right direction. You know, are you traveling in a group? so that you can give other people help, you can receive help from others. I mean, pilgrims never travel alone. They always travel in groups. And you think about the church around the world and the church of all time. That's the larger group we're in. What about people at Calvary and other Christians you may know in your community? Who are you traveling with on this journey? You know, it might be the case that some of you haven't even begun the great pilgrimage that we're talking about this morning, so hopefully Psalm 84 then might inspire you to a grand vision of God that you would leave home and start your journey. It's pretty easy to begin. You simply repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for you as a sinner. And then God's grace will come to you and he'll give you a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. It's such a place that you want more and you want more and you want more. And before you know it, you're out on a pilgrimage, pursuing the glory of Jesus. You see, longing for the joy and the blessing of worship, being in the presence of God, it helps build our resolve to be a part and join in this pilgrimage even more fully and persevere till the very end. The third topic, of course, then, is just continues, and it's anticipating our arrival in verses 8 through 12. And it breaks down here a little bit more uh, detail in verses 8 to 9. We really see a prayer that's being offered in the midst of the psalm. In verses 10 and 11, it's like a little, little song or a hymn in there. And then finally in verse 12, it closes with a blessing and brings us back to the beginning of the psalm. Many psalms are organized in this fashion. So then we read in verses 8 and nine, "O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. It's a prayer for the king. He's the anointed one. He's the one anointed and appointed by God to be the shield and the protector of his people. And to ask for the Lord God Almighty's blessing upon the king is really to ask blessing upon yourself, because so much of it's mediated through him. And to ask the God of Jacob, and here to refer to God as the God of Jacob here, is is to recall and implore that Lord, would you bless us based upon that covenant you made and bring us all those blessings? See, we we do the same. And we should do the same. Psalm 84 encourages us. We pray for God's blessing upon our spiritual leaders because we know so much of our spiritual health is dependent upon our spiritual leaders. It's mediated through them so much. We also pray as well for our governmental leaders for the same reason, because God brings blessings into our lives through them. And of course, you can't miss the fulfillment, I hope. Because there was a greater son of David who came. A greater king. And so this psalm looks further down the history. And it looks to and is praising God the Father and asking him to bless his son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, his anointed one. And all his redemptive work. And so as New Covenant believers, we look at this psalm and we ask God the Father to give us all the blessings that have been purchased by Jesus Christ on our behalf. We want more of them. We want them to be poured out on our lives and to be, keep being blessed in Jesus. The epistle of the Ephesians begins at the beginning, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then we get to the hymn in verses 10 and 11. It says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Again, it's a hymn of praise in the midst of the psalm that celebrates the superiority of being in God's presence. And there are two images to observe here in our psalm. Our psalmist pilgrim anticipates his arrival, and uh, he talks about one day of fellowship. I mean, just getting getting there one day is better than a thousand. If you take that really literally, it's like one day is better than three years of just being in God's presence. That's to go on the pilgrimage, or even the choices of places—any place else he could think, or just sitting at home. But one day is a thousand times better, which is another way of saying it's infinitely better. It's infinitely better to be in God's presence and to spend a day there than anywhere else. The second image that's put before us on the value of worship is being a lowly doorkeeper at the temple. That's a greater blessing than having worldly prestige and along with it, the worldliness that so often comes from worldly prestige. Even just standing at the threshold of the temple is better than all the fame and the wealth and the power of the world. Do these images resonate with your soul at all? Is this how you see your time spent on a Sunday morning in worship with the people of God? Is this how valuable you see time spent each day with the Lord in prayer and in His Word? Is it better to you to worship the Lord than to just do a little more work, or a little more play, or a little more sleep, or a little more studying? Is worship better? It's important to consider this contest of our desires that goes on within each one of us. You know, this is something we all experience of spending time with the Lord or with the world. Because in verse 11, we get told all the superior blessings of actually spending more time with the Lord. And he goes on and talks about, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those who choose his presence, drawing closer to him, this is what happens to us in worship. See if it matches your experience. He becomes like the sun, meaning that he brings light into your mind and into your soul. He restores your soul, and he gives you hope for the future. That's what happens in his presence and in worship. He also becomes like a shield, the psalmist says, demonstrating his power. You feel protected from evil, and he gives you security to be able to go out and fulfill the calling he's given you. He bestows grace and glory, it says. He gives power and strength by showing favor and bestowing honor on us. He withholds no good thing, pouring out his goodness, revealing it in all things to the upright, See, being in God's presence will transform everything. And that's where verse 12 takes us at the end, this blessing of pilgrimage. is all going to stay with you when you return. You know, the pilgrims would sing the psalm, and then they'd go back. They'd probably memorize the psalm. It's part of their worship. And it goes with you into the day you begin your day with the Lord, or into the week if you begin your week with the people of God worshiping, and week after week on till eventually we make it to heaven and glory, and then we get to do it for eternity. So this almost ends in verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's a concluding blessing, looking, looking to the great King of all and praising the Lord Almighty for his blessing, and how he's blessed everyone in this experience, the pilgrims who've come from all over to worship during this week and the priests that are busy in the temple doing all their things. The psalm opened with the psalmist himself deeply longing for God. And at the end, the psalmist invites and encourages everyone to put their trust in Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. This is a wonderful psalm, and at the end, it anticipates our arrival on that final day of glory. Every Sunday is an anticipation of heaven. We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, after the sermon this morning. And again, that's an anticipation of making it to heaven. And every regular day at home is an anticipation of meeting with God, and being blessed in his presence. We, let us just keep vibrant in our joy and our blessing and worship so that we can continually be building up this resolve to stay on pilgrimage to keep pursuing after God, to keep spending time with him, to keep studying his word and praying and encouraging others. I mean, 2020 was a rough year. We don't know what 2021 is gonna involve, but you know what, that's part of our pilgrimage too and beyond, and it's just gonna keep on going. It's just a wonderful journey that we're on as Christians. So as we look at the end of the Psalm, I have a few more reflections for you. You know, Psalm 84 is meant to be used I love preaching the psalms, as you'll probably end up finding out, and because psalms are really not there so much to study, although, of course, we study them. They're really not so much in the Bible, you know, for us to uh, preach them, although I love preaching them. But they're really for all of us to use them because, you know, we can talk about them and study them, but then the psalm just sort of still sits there. Inviting us to use it and worship. Because Psalm 84 increases our appetite for God. It's a meal in and of itself. He talks about having an appetite for God, but Psalm 84 itself is a meal before us to enjoy. And when we read Psalm 84 and we meditate on it, it sets our hearts more solidly on this great pilgrimage that we're on. So that when we read the rest of the Bible and we go do our things that God's called us to do and serve, it's all part of the pilgrimage and we enjoy it. It's worship itself. And Psalm 84 raises our hopes for heaven above whatever hopes we may have for earth. It's a reminder of what it's like to be close to God in worship, receiving His blessings, His joy, strength that He gives to us, grace that He brings into our lives. And then, you know, we think about, you know, transferring our mindset from, here's an old covenant worshiper, speaking better than he knows about the new covenants come. And how God is present with us as his people through the Holy Spirit that inhabits his church. So we read in the book of Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19 and following. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The church is the temple of God, and this is why we come together weekly in worship and in smaller groups as well, to be near him and to anticipate Christ's return and his presence forevermore. When we gather together, now how goes it with your praising, with your singing, with your praying, with your listening, with your participation In your soul, longing for God and letting your heart be released in worship. One of my favorite pastor theologians from previous century, Charles Spurgeon, this is the counsel that he suggested from this psalm. He said, The blessedness of sacred worship belongs not to the half-hearted, listless worshipers, but to those who throw all their energies into it. Neither prayer nor praise nor the hearing of the word will be pleasant or profitable to persons who have left their hearts behind them. A company of pilgrims who had left their hearts at home would be no better than a caravan of carcasses, quite unfit to blend with the living saints in adoring the living God. Beautiful. I sincerely hope and pray that if you're in need of renewal in your life, that you avail yourselves of the word of grace in Psalm 84. It's a wonderful psalm. I mean, ultimately, we're all going to arrive in heaven those of us who believe in Jesus, in the new heavens, and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, our eternal city, Zion. In the book of Revelation, verse 21, it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. May we encourage one another to keep moving forward to our heavenly city as pilgrims in progress. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much for your rich word that comes fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that it speaks to us of your revealing yourself and your character and your workings and draws us into a deeper and fuller worship and understanding of who you are and how you work in our lives. I pray for us here this morning at Calvary that we, as the scriptures say, would be of good courage knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord knowing that we do indeed only walk by faith and not by sight, but we're of good courage. May you grant us that grace. We prefer, of course, to be absent from the body and at home with you, Lord. Therefore, we keep it our ambition that whether we are at home or absent, that we're pleasing to you. And that is our ultimate desire this morning, that we would leave this morning desiring to be great pilgrims and that we would be pleasing to you in all of our thoughts, our meditations, our words, our actions, our service for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray all these things for your greater glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. And God bless you.